Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Our Lord God, our Heavenly Father, uh, Holy Spirit, our present strengthener and encourager and comforter, and Emmanuel, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. As we bow before you and open your word, our humble and yet confident request, God, is that what we know not, you would teach us. And what we have not, you would give us. And what we are not, you would make us for your glory and our good. Amen. Amen. Wonderful to worship the Lord Jesus together and to hear that uh, marvelous testimony from Chase, God's work in his life. As we open God's word today in James chapter 3 and a couple of selected scriptures, I want to talk to you about the Christian's superpower. I will leave it up to you and your friends to split a plate of nachos and discuss what superpower you would rather have, super speed or super strength or invisibility. I'm not talking about any of those today. I'm talking about the Christian's superpower, which James chapter 3 says is meekness. Kind of a strange superpower, but then again, God sending a little baby to be born in a manger is kind of a strange way to save the world. If you don't think that meekness is a superpower, this is probably evidence that your thinking in this area is more worldly than godly. Because the Bible says repeatedly that when we become like Christ, it's our humility and our meekness that shows our might and our strength. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace." What is meekness? A definition of meekness would be an inner disposition of humble gentleness. An inner disposition of gentleness that keeps you from exploding out in selfishness, self-assertiveness, and anger. Instead of brashly asserting yourself in selfish anger, If you're meek, you're humble, you're patient, and you're pretty easy to be around. Maybe we could define meekness, which shows up in verse 13, by its contrast in verse 14 that says bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. One Christian says meekness is the quality of heart from which and from which alone grow all the sweet fruits of Christian wisdom 
And I think that's what James 3, 13 to 18 is saying, is that meekness is that quality of heart from which grow the sweet fruits of Christian wisdom. It's what makes Christians super and powerfully different than the world around us. If we're going to define meekness, let's also take a minute and talk about what meekness is not. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not niceness. Meekness is not a a personality type. After all, I suppose there are some, uh, some dogs that are humble and don't try to steal the food, and some dogs who are just brash and upfront and do whatever they want. It's not just a sort of a, 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 an, an inborn, inbred personality type. Both big personalities who are loud and funny, or big personalities like some of you who are loud and think you're funny, or meek, kind of quiet personalities that are more reserved, both of those personalities could actually be meek because it's not just a personality type. Meekness is not weakness, and this is very important to say. Meekness is not moral flabbiness. Meekness is not cowardly indifference. Meekness is not postmodern, post-truth, I'm cool with whatever. That's not what meekness is. Meekness is a form of strength. Because Christians can be meek because they believe that Christ is Lord. Therefore, they can be strong. Meekness is a particular kind of strength that, verse 18, yields a harvest of righteousness. There's a worldly kind of strength that just throttles everything and makes it happen. But then there's a Christian kind of strength that sows in peace and in integrity and in patience and that actually yields a harvest of righteousness. Worldly strength looks like it works in the next five minutes. Christian strength of meekness actually works for the next five decades. This is the difference between, this is one of the main differences between worldliness and godliness. Meekness is a, uh, to be meek is to have a heart and a mind that are submitted to God. The meek person has God's approval. Therefore, the meek person is not running around and scampering and scheming for man's approval all the time. You're jealous, you're envious, you're insecure, you're always running around if you need approval from everybody else around you horizontally. But if you're meek, you have that approval vertically, and so it frees you up to be satisfied in God. To be meek is to care about the evaluation of God more than to care about the evaluation of the world. And so you don't have to have this selfish, vainglorious ambition. And so I want to talk to you this morning about meekness. It'll relate to the theme of Christmas and who Jesus Christ is. But I want to just talk about meekness and self. 
meekness and others, and then meekness and Jesus. First, meekness and self. According to verse 14, the opposite of meekness is selfish ambition. It's bitter envy. Envy says, I want to be better than everyone else. And selfish ambition says, I want everyone else to notice me, me all the time. But meekness is a completely different understanding of self. We'll go to two places for this. The first place I want to go is Matthew 5, verses 1 through 9. The Beatitudes. As we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus and we celebrate the identity of the Lord Jesus, as we read the Beatitudes, you can't help but thinking, well, as I read Matthew 5, 1 through 9, this doesn't describe my personality yet. And also, as you read Matthew 5, 1 through 9, it describes our Savior. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. He goes on to talk about persecution in verses 10 and 11. Verse 3 says that the superpower of meekness, I'm sorry, verse 5, verse 5 says that the superpower of meekness is so powerful that it enables one to inherit the whole earth. Understand the difference between pride that grasps for everything and ends up with nothing. This is the serpent. This is our mother and father reaching for the tree and ending up with nothing but misery. Understand the difference between pride that grasps for everything and gets nothing and a humble meekness that actually inherits the whole earth. You understand the difference between proud people and humble people. Proud people are very easily angered. This is one of the things that James 3 is getting at. Proud people are very easily angered. But humble people, you can't knock them over because they're already down. You can't knock them off their pedestal because there isn't one. They're just happy to serve God and serve you. The meek person is not easily angered because they recognize that their true dignity is guarded by God and it comes from God. So when they're wronged, they don't, they, they, they don't have to get revenge and make things right. That's why it says in Hebrews when they came and, and they took the property of the Christians, the Christians just rejoiced because they knew that they had a better and a lasting possession. This is the freedom of meekness. Romans 8 says that if I'm a co-inheritor with Christ, then I'm inheriting the whole earth. What do I have to run around and scheme around and keep myself happy with this and that and the other thing? Well, I certainly can't do justice to the Beatitudes um, this, this morning. Just to mention from, uh, I'll just 
I'm not even going to preach on the Beatitudes. I'm not even going to give you something from me. I'm going to read you a little, uh, a little portion from Martin Lloyd-Jones' commentary on the Beatitudes. When I was 19, I remember that because I think Chase in the video said he's 19. For me, that was the year 1989. Those who, were, those who grew up in the 80s grew up in the greatest decade of all time. I'll just say that. If, I, if you disagree, uh, you're entitled to your wrong opinion, but it doesn't persuade me. Uh, anyways, I'm just saying, when I was 19, my pastor at the time gave me a book called The Sermon on the Mount. And the author of that book was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And that book changed my life when I was 19 years old. Wonderful book. Uh, he has a chapter in that book about meekness, and this is what he says. This is what Lloyd-Jones says. The meek man is not proud of himself. That's obvious, so let me go further. The man who is meek is not even sensitive about himself. He's not always watching out for himself. He's not always on the defensive. We all know what that feels like, don't we? Is it not one of the greatest curses of the fall this sensitivity about self? I'm just, I've been haunted by that question ever since I read it. Let me, let me read that again. Is this not one of the greatest curses of the fall, this sensitivity about self? We spend our whole lives watching out for ourselves. But let a man become meek in Jesus, and he is finished with all that, for he no longer worries about himself. What a way to live. What a way to live. To be delivered from that constant sensitivity to self when every little slide I have to get back and every little nickel I have to get back and I, I can just let go of it and trust my whole self and my whole life to Jesus. That's what it means to be meek. And when you're meek, you're satisfied and you inherit the earth and you receive mercy and you see God. Meekness and regard for self. Yes, maybe that's what Matthew 5, 1 through 9 was about. Let me show you another place about meekness and self, and this will be back in the book of James. Instead of James 3, James 1, verse 21. Still considering what meekness has to do with self. And it's meekness and how the self receives the word. James 1.21, the run-up is James 1.19, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then James 1.21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. There's our word meekness. And when it comes to meekness and self, it says that meekness is the primary quality that you need in order to receive the word. Meekness is what enables us to receive the word. So they say, I've only bought a couple of houses in my lifetime. I hope I never have to buy another one. I'd gladly stay where I am. But they say that in real, in real estate, the thing is location, location, location. James 1.21 says, in receiving the Bible whether that means if you read the Bible on Tuesday or you're sitting here right now listening to the sermon, the thing is meekness, meekness, meekness. 
makes all the difference. Or to take the word quite literally, the key thing in receiving the Bible is putting away filthiness, putting away filthiness, putting away filthiness, and meekness, meekness, meekness. How do you receive the word with meekness? By putting away filthiness, repenting of your sin, and having a humble heart. Remember what J.C. Ryle told us years ago? He simply said, if you're going to be a Christian, you and your sin must quarrel if you and God are to be friends. You and your sin must quarrel if you and God are to be friends. What a concept. You have to take in hand an argument against old you if you and Christ are going to be together. You have to have an argument with yourself and you have to become meek and you have to become a person who puts away the old self. The way you unthinkingly get angry, the way you refuse to listen, the way you make excuses for yourself, you have to put that away. It means the opposite of a proud, stubborn, defensive heart. So let me ask you, when it comes time to open the Bible, whether that's here on a Sunday while you're here in church, or whether you're listening to a sermon in your earbuds, or whether you're reading the Bible in your own kitchen table, do you take James 1.21 seriously and say, as you open the Bible, say, Spirit of God, Make me meek. Spirit of God, take my defenses down. What a prayer. To authentically mean that. Spirit of God, take my defenses down. When you come to receive a sermon, when you come to receive the word of God, do you, do you consciously say, I, I am not sitting before the word of God to validate how all right I already am. I'm here to receive with meekness the word that must transform me. How have you received the word in 2020? I was just talking to uh, a group at the table there in the ABF. I was a couple minutes late coming in because I was talking with them about the we were sort of complaining, sorry, about the downsides of 2020 and how bad things have been. But then we talked a little bit about the upsides of 2020 and how these bad things are revealing things and giving us opportunities. How, how has 2020 revealed the way you receive the word? Do you, do, you, do you really receive it with eager meekness? Or is it just another channel that flies by? Do you receive the word with meekness? What is the explanation for why I can preach the word Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and some people really grow and they become like Jesus and other people never change? Perhaps it's my fault. And if I preached more gooder or more better or longer or shorter or whatever. But Sometimes it's not the fault of the sower. Sometimes it's the fault of the soil. Is the soil meek or is it hard? Is it concrete? 
or is it plowed? Are there rocks of unrepentant wickedness that are just keeping the soil, the, the, the seed from growing? The meekness with which we receive the word. So that's meekness and self. Let's talk for a couple minutes about meekness and others. This is important. It's always been important. It's more important than ever probably in 2020. Meekness and self, we've transitioned to meekness and others or meekness and the unity of the church. I really want the church to grow at the, here at the end of 2020 and certainly into 2021. I think most churches have shrunk quite a bit in 2020. Really want the church to grow in 2020 and, and into 2021. How, how does the church grow? What are, what are the important qualities that are present in a church so that it can grow? Back to James 3. He's, he talks in James 3 about the, the power of meekness and the divisiveness of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I mean, the run-up to it is there in James 3 when he talks about the danger of the tongue. James 3, 6, the tongue is a fire and a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members and sets the whole body on fire by hell. James 3, 9, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And then the wisdom of meekness and the, the jealousy and the selfish ambition. But then verse 17 says, the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and merciful and open to reason. And, it, and, and a harvest of righteousness is sown by peace, those who make peace. Why would the church grow if people from the world where everyone's tongue is set on fire by hell and there's divisiveness and selfish ambition if they come into the church and they find that everyone's tongue is set on fire by hell and the church is marked by envy and selfish ambition and rancor, why would, they, why, why would that church grow? Answer, it wouldn't. But if we're an alternative plausibility structure, if we're like, like an actual uh, experiment that's proving that there's a different way to live and people from the world where the tongue is set on fire by hell come in here, and they find a harvest of righteousness in peace by those who make peace, then the church will grow. Do we fight just like the world fights? Are we brittle just like the world is brittle? Do we score keep just the way the world score keeps? Or are we meek and done with that selfish regard? for selfish ambition. When was the last time somebody said something mean to you? Or when was the last time that your friend told you that another person said something mean about you behind your back? For some of you, it was yesterday, or maybe it was this morning while you're walking in. When's the last time somebody said something so mean to you? I've got a little biography of a pastor named Charles Simeon who's like up there as a model for me. He was an English minister and for years the mean people in his church tried to get him fired. <laughs> they lied about him. They had articles published in the paper that were filled with lies about him and they ran his name down in the public square. 
And he, Charles Simeon wrote this in his diary after several years of people saying bad things about him behind his back. Remember, when's the last time someone said something mean to you and how did you react? This is how Charles Simeon reacted. This is what he wrote in his diary. I have just this moment heard of a horrible attempt to injure my character and I take up this pen to record to the praise and glory of God that my soul is kept in perfect peace. Rather, I pity those who delight in speaking such wicked words because little do they know that they injure themselves and not me. What a Christ-like spirit. What a humble heart. What, what a demonstration of the Beatitudes. If the church is to grow, the church will be an irresistible, incandescent flame in this world if that is the heartbeat of her members. But if those who are in the world find worldly values in the church, the church ought never to grow because how is it distinguished from the world that it's supposedly reaching? The meek person is so utterly submitted to God. The meek Christian is so utterly convinced that I'm a co-heir with Christ and I have everything I need in Christ that I no longer have to scamper around and get it on this lousy planet where people mistreat each other. The meek person is so utterly submitted to God that he or she is subsequently utterly unfazed by what other people say about him or her. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is deliverance from the weakness of running around worried about me. Blessed deliverance, this. To be meek is to be broken before God. But here's the secret to our superpower. When you are broken before God, you then become bulletproof before people. They can't knock you down. When you are secure in God, then you are no longer shattered by every opinion of the world. The church has to manifest this kind of meekness. The life of the church is described so wonderfully in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, church, with all humility, with all gentleness, with all patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 describes a church that will grow here at the end of 2020 and on into 2021. Because in the world... People are big and God is small. And when people are big and God is small, then everything that happens in the world means everything to us. But when God is big and people are in their proper perspective, then people's opinion about me and people's reaction to me and the next worldly report about what's happening in the world is relatively small compared to the size at which God looms in my spiritual attention. And I am most aware of who God is and what God is doing and what God has said about me, so I'm less concerned to run around 
like a little flibberty gibbet about this news story or this person's opinion or that. Think of a tree. Think of a tree um, growing really high and tall above the ground, but the tree has almost no roots under the ground. People are big. Worldly opinions are big. That really tall tree with really shallow roots, when the wind blows, when someone says something mean about you, or when the next freak out news story happens, the wind blows and that tree is going to topple down because the only thing about it is what everyone sees and what everyone says. But if God is big and the roots below the ground are really deep and really strong, then no matter what blows around in the world, that tree will stay fruitful. To be meek is to have a firm root system underground. So what God says about me, what God reveals about me, that's what matters. That's what makes me who I am. Meekness and others. And just a word about meekness and helping others. Won't turn back there, but in Numbers 12, it says that Moses was the meekest person on the earth. And then in Exodus chapter 18, I don't know if you remember this story or not, in Exodus chapter 18, uh, like hundreds and hundreds of people are waiting to get help from Moses. And Moses' father-in-law Jethro says, you have to divide up the people and appoint like basically an elder board so that more people can help take care of all these people. Exodus 18 shows us that Moses was the kind of guy that when he retired, you couldn't replace him with one more guy. Moses was literally the kind of guy that when he retired, it took 70 guys to replace him. Why is that? That is because Moses was meek. This quality of meekness, beloved, you know this is true. The quality of meekness draws people toward you. When you need help, who do you think of to go for help? Some proud person who doesn't care? Or some meek person who is like Jesus? Meekness draws people to you. It's a bit counterintuitive, church, and I just put this out there for you to think about because there's always a danger that the church is going to become more like the world, and we're going to define our superpowers in worldly terms, and we ought not. So it's a bit counterintuitive. When we really want help, in a worldly way, we think, oh, I have to go to the strong, blunt, harsh, strong, natural leader. But in the kingdom of God, what if you get the best help from the most humble, meek person that there is? After all, the only one who could ever help us said, come to me, for I am meek and gentle of heart. Meekness really is our superpower to empower us to help others. Well, this leads us from meekness in self and meekness in others to our third point, which is meekness in Jesus. Meekness in Jesus. 
And here I'd ask you to look at Matthew 11, where Jesus reveals his heart to us, the kind of meekness that makes him the savior that he is. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. James 3 says that me the meekness of wisdom comes from above. The meekness of wisdom comes from above. Jesus Christ, about whom we read in every page of the Gospels, Jesus Christ, about whom we read in every page of our Advent booklet, Jesus Christ, of whom we sang in every song here in this service, is, Jesus is the supreme embodiment of the meekness of wisdom. And just as James 3.18 says that a harvest of righteousness is reaped and, and brought forth by those who sow in the meekness of wisdom, so Jesus came from the heavens down to the earth to be, to be sown into the ground in his death. And he has reaped a harvest of resurrection righteousness in all of us, the redeemed. Jesus is the wisdom that comes from above. And here in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's the same root word from our word in James 3 of meekness. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I get this point out of Dane Ortland's excellent little book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I think Dan told me he went through it with the youth staff, so I think a lot of you maybe have already read that book. If you haven't, it'd be a good book to, to give and get at Christmas. Wonderful little book. But in that book, actually in the first chapter of that book, uh, the author, Dane Ortland, says there are 89 chapters in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those 89 chapters, we read so much about Jesus' teaching. We read so much about Jesus' miracles. We read so much about Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament. We read so much about Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. But in all 89 chapters of the Gospels, there's only one place where we can read about the innermost heart of Jesus. And it's this place. This is the only place where Jesus pulls back the curtain and shows us, and Jesus says, this is my heart. This is the only place where he uses that language. And when Jesus says that, he says, I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dane Ortland says, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. The point in saying Jesus is lowly is that Jesus is accessible. For all the resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus. End quote. No one in human history has ever been more approachable. And we just don't think about it like that. We just don't think about it like that. Again, because worldly thinking sort of makes us fuzzy about what it is. The, the way we think is, well, the, the all-star quarterback or the, the greatest member of the baseball team or whatever it is, 
He is the last one who has time for the guy deep in the bowels of the stadium who washes the socks of the athletes. And we think the wealthy people are the last people that have time for the poor people. The successful people are the last people that have time for those who are down and out. But it's exactly the opposite with Jesus. Because of his glory, glory of the only begotten, glory from heaven, this is what makes him the most accessible savior in the world for those who are down and out and lost and lowly and weary and heavy laden. This is the glorious good news of the gospel. That God looked down at us. You know he did. He looked at me. And he said, there ain't no way in the world that a guy like that is going to embody Christian virtue. No way. And he looked at you and he said the same thing. So then he said, there is a way that that will happen, but it ain't a way of this world. It's not the way of them climbing up some ladder of virtue by doing this and that and the other thing. The only way is that I will send my only son to do what Spencer could never do, what you could never do. And my son will do it for you. And then my son will take your failures on himself, your sins on himself, and die for you and rise again. This is the glorious good news of the gospel. The wonder of wonders is that God would send a humble, meek savior to die for proud, rebellious sinners, and yet he did. Let the church rejoice. Let the church believe. And let the church come to this meek and gentle and lowly savior. And then, as the church gets inside of his heart, watch how the church grows when the world looks in and sees that we have a superpower that the world never imagined anything about. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we would come to you now banking on your promise that all those who are burdened, heavy laden, Lord, we would no longer be burdened by our sin. We would repent of it and let it go, so we confess. Lord, we would no longer be burdened by our anxieties, so we would worship you as sovereign and cast all of our care upon you. And Lord, we would no longer be burdened by that excessive attention to self that is the horrible shadow of Eden's tree from which we took. So deliver us into the glorious freedom of meekness and self-denial that we might really live. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.